Lord Almighty, I pray that you would remove from us those things that would distract us from hearing your word tonight. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to hear what you have to say and enable us to obey so that we will be the men and women that you have created us to be. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing. Amen. Mark Twain famously said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I don't, can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. There is a lot of wisdom to that. Because the parts we do understand is that we know that we are sinners. We know that we are fallen far from the glory of God and we will be accountable to it. Believe it or not, However, God inspired not only the easy parts of the Bible to understand, but also the parts that are hard to understand. I struggle with some of these. What on earth is Paul talking about in 1 Corinthians 15 about baptizing for the dead? And what is this Genesis 6 thing about the Nephilim? I don't know. I don't know. But these kinds of passages aren't all that common. In fact, when I was talking to both Pastor Benji and Pastor James this week, I gave them those two passages and said, what are some others like this? And we really couldn't come up with any concrete passages like that. But these are where commentary writers make their money because they have to give us six or eight or ten different possible theories about it. Today, we are going to come to a passage that has made many scratch their heads. It's one of those crazy passages that you're just really not sure about. But let me tell you, it's not as difficult as those two. You might think, before we get to the end of Luke 16 today, did Jesus just commend someone for stealing or at best, lying? Now, I'm going to let you sit with that question for a while. And I might not even let you off the hook by the time we're done with today. But what I want to do is use this passage to keep going in this series on For the City, which perhaps in hindsight would have been better called be the blessing you were blessed to be. We see this continued theme as we start our passage now, Luke 16, 1 and 2. Jesus also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be my manager. Now, at this point, the story is pretty straightforward. A boss wants the employee to come forward and come clean on his work because he wants to fire him. Apparently, even then, you had to have a paperwork trail before you fired somebody without the government coming down hard on you. But it continues in verse 3. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my manager is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. 
I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write 80. Now, obviously, from this part of the story, we have reason to believe that, in fact, this person was guilty of his charges. But we also find out that he is scared. Too weak to dig, too proud to beg. Man, I better figure this one out quick. And figure it out, he does. His plan is to go to the people who owe his master money. And I take it there's more than two of them. I think there's probably quite a few who owe his master money. And kind of work it so that they feel like they owe him because he made their lives easier. It's also good reason to believe he probably was skimming off the top from his master. And so far, the plan is working. He goes, he gets to these people, he cuts these deals, but we never actually find out if the plan fully worked because deception, the lying, is not the point of Jesus' story. The point of the story is that the dishonest manager takes decisive action. He does something because he knows that judgment is coming. And he needs to prepare for that judgment. So as he gets to the other side, he has friends. The point is to use whatever resources you have to improve your future. But let's finish the story and see where there's at least one stumbling block to this story as a whole. Verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager... For his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now Jesus is the master, well, of everything, but it turns out he's also the master at storytelling. And he adds a twist that we otherwise wouldn't have, we wouldn't have thought was coming. In fact, you've heard this story so many times. You knew it was coming. But put in your imagination and think, if this was the first time you were hearing this story, wait, what? The manager just commended this guy? Or the, the master just commended the master, the Manager, what's going on here? The master of the dishonest manager commended him. Now, I don't want you to fall into the same trap that those who say that Jesus himself is commending dishonesty. Jesus is not commending stealing. He's not commending lying. These were sins, they are sins, and they always will be sins. But we need to see here exactly what's going on. The master, not Jesus, remember, this is part of the story, commends 
the dishonest manager. And he does so because of his shrewdness. Because he knew that judgment was coming and the manager took the resources he had and acted decisively in light of this coming judgment to think, what's going to happen? How can I get out of the mess that I know I'm going into? But still you might think, wait, wait, wait. Why on earth would this master commend this manager? Well, you know, it may be that the master is Don Corleone and the steward is mob boss number two. And you would expect a criminal to commend a criminal for getting off, you know, a really good swindle right before he fits them with concrete shoes and takes them to the ocean. But I don't think that this is Jesus' point. Even if Jesus is using the idea of the Sicilian mob or the version of it in first century Palestine, instead, Jesus wants to highlight the thoughtful, intelligent, imaginative, albeit corrupt, decisive action in light of the coming judgment. The point is to use the resources you have wisely because there's a storm a-coming. And that storm is going to sink every ship. And one day, every single person is going to be standing face-to-face, -face, not with a mob boss master, but with the master of all who lives, of all time. That is why you and I must get the best bang for our buck. Now, let me take a second here. I need, I need to kind of step back and put a little more into this. The manager here in this story has resources. Now, the resources aren't his. The barrels of wine and oil, the wheat and the barley, they aren't his. But... They're under his control. He has them as resources. Now, what is he supposed to do with those resources? He's supposed to use them in such a way that it, it promotes the master's plan. He's supposed to do things in the interest of his master. And so, what he's supposed to do is act faithfully to his master. Now he's not, don't misunderstand, we're not poo-pooing the idea that he lied and he stole. He did those things. But he's supposed to work for his master. Now let me remind you, I told you we're taking a step back just for a second. Let me remind you of another passage that uses this idea and is found in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Paul says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that we be found faithful. Now, in Paul's passage in 1 Corinthians 4, we find that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. We are responsible to handle the truths that God has revealed in the last days. Responsible to handle the truths in the days that we are living in right now. Because the last days is how the New Testament continually 
describes the time we are living in now. And we are to handle these truths of the word of God in such a way that the people around us are exposed to it, both in what they see and in what they hear. And we do this so that the Holy Spirit can come work through us and into the lives of those who are around us. Now, the steward in Jesus' account is in charge of money or, if you want to, goods that can be easily exchanged for money. The idea is still money. And from Jesus, we're about to find out how he intends his stewards, which we'll discover is actually us, how we are to steward his goods and how we are to get the best bang out of our master's buck. How do we do it? We do it by making friends for ourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, because money will fail, on your deathbed, the only thing money will buy is a softer pillow. And pretty soon that won't matter. When that unrighteous wealth fails, they, the people that you made friends with, will receive you into their eternal dwellings. My friends, I cannot stress enough that there is judgment coming. There is judgment coming for the entire world. And please, please don't have the kind of heart that says, I'm covered, I'm good have the kind of heart that says there's judgment coming and my neighbor is not. The person who lives across the street is not good in light of this coming judgment. There is a judgment coming and people will be brought into account for everything they did and every attitude they had and therefore we need to make preparations. You and I need to use the resources at our disposal to prepare for this coming judgment. So let's, let's think about this. What are some of these resources? Well, you know, we could rely on our good looks. Of course, I ran out of my good looks years ago, if I ever had any. We can depend on our great health. Well, we found out this last week how good great health is. We can depend on the fact that we're members at Grace Baptist Church, but that really doesn't matter that much either because in heaven, there aren't going to be Baptists. There's going to be people who love Jesus. We can depend on our money, and our money can go some ways down the trail, but really it's not our money, and that's part of the point of this story. You and I are stewards. We're managers. We are the people that get our living by using the resources that God has loaned to us so that we can be the blessing we were blessed to be. We find out that money or goods that can be exchanged for cash are the chief instrument Jesus talks about here. Why? Why does he bring up this idea of money? 
It's because money is the most common usurper idol for the one true God. More people worship money in their decisions about life than the other two top contenders, which are, of course, sex and power. How then do we successfully avoid worshiping money, no matter how much or how little you have? By using it to make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Jesus, now we're interpreting our passage, the master of all our possessions, about which Paul calls us stewards, tells us that he wants us to use our possessions in such a way that others will partake of the heavenly dwelling as well, and that one day they will be able to celebrate with us in heaven because we do. I want to take another time out because this is such a glorious thought. Just, just think for a moment. Close your eyes and imagine what it's going to be. Jesus says that we're going to have eternal dwellings to welcome people into. What does that mean? Oh my goodness, glory. Now, it could mean that we have great big houses on top of mountains and there's a stream washing through and when you come and visit me someday, I'll be out there fishing. Might mean that. I, it might mean that the dwellings that we have are just our bodies and they're, and they're so self-sufficient that we don't need, you know, brick and mortar anymore. I, I don't know. I don't know. But just think of the glory of whatever it means that people are going to say, John, come to my house and celebrate with me what God has done. Tina, come over. We're going to celebrate for eternity because God is good. Amen? Amen. My friends, this is good news. This is something to get excited about because this is what God is calling us to, to receive people with us so that we can celebrate forever in bodies that aren't falling apart. Amen. amen. I knew I had to get one amen out of that. This is good news. This is something to get excited about. And so you and I are given the opportunity right now to make preparations for ourselves. Obviously, we need to make sure our heart is right with the Lord. But we need to make preparations for those who are around us. We need to make these preparations by living what John Piper calls a wartime lifestyle. Instead of using our resources as if they are ours to spend any way we want, use our resources in the manner that the true owner, the true master in this parable, wants them to be used. To be the blessing we were blessed to be. Now that's the parable. But Luke doesn't stop there. Luke continues, he makes his point, and he emphasizes the cash aspect of it when he gets to verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? 
Jews, Jesus calls the riches that you possess. Wait, is that right? Do you possess these riches? No, we're stewards of them. Jesus calls the riches that we are stewards of as very little. That's exactly what he says. And then he calls them unrighteous wealth. He says they're not your own. Perhaps that's why they're unrighteous, because if we're using them just for our own pleasure, they're stolen from one to whom they actually belong. The point is, is that if we can't be trusted with such a small thing as whatever our resources is, and again, I keep saying money, but we're, we're just talking about the resources that we have in life. And we all have some form of resources or another. Um, if we can't be trusted with them, how then are we to be trusted with the great things, the great glory that will one day be ours when we're welcoming neighbors into our homes? That was as tough to say as I think it was hard to hear for some of us. And I promise not every sermon in this series is going to be about money. There'll be other things too. And they won't be comfortable either. But Jesus is only calling us out on one of the things that is most important to us. And so a legitimate question to ask in light of this, well, is, is Jesus telling me to give away all my money? Well, I don't think so. And I, there's at least two reasons why not. Number one, he's only recorded once as requiring someone to give away all their money. I mean, if that was something that Jesus wanted everybody to do, you would have, think, you would have thought he would have said it more often. So I, I think clearly that isn't. And secondly, we know that we are saved by grace through faith quite apart from anything we do or don't do. So it can't be that Jesus is saying you have to give away all your money. We're rejecting that thought. But we see that Jesus finishes this thought with verse 13. And verse 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The point of this whole parable is that we must not serve the quote-unquote God money. We cannot live as though money were the deciding factors in how and why we do things. We cannot live as if money is the deciding factor as to how and why we do things. We cannot live as if money is the deciding factor as to how or why we do things. Now, it is a factor. And I think in a, a, a limitation of this particular sermon is it hasn't emphasized the fact that, yes, we all need money. And yes, we need to pay for our mortgage. And yes, we need to buy food for our kids or else they'll starve. Don't hear me say that you don't use money. Well, but we find once again another passage that tells us to be the blessing we were blessed to be. So let me give two last notes on this passage. 
I am a firm believer in the fact that God gives us good gifts to enjoy. This is exactly what we heard this morning. Eat your donuts, watch your blood moons, eat your bacon, and take your naps. Amen. Right? And learn to listen to Lecrae. Look that up, by the way, guys. Look up Lecrae, L-E-C-R-A-E, Lecrae, and look at one of his lyrics videos. And if you need to, turn it down a little bit, but watch the words that he sings as you see his lyric video. You will see that there is much good in hip-hop music. Okay, enough preaching. And when you do this, you will taste and see and smell and fear, feel and hear that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Don't misunderstand this. And while we are enjoying these gifts, we come to 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, including, as we heard this morning, donuts and blood moons and bacon and naps. Enjoy it. Praise Jesus, because if we don't, we're just going to look like these sourpusses, and no one wants to go to church on Sunday morning with a bunch of sourpusses, Right? And he, and he tells us then, and to do good works, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Read that as houses to welcome your friends into, that so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And secondly, the second comment I want to end this particular discussion with I can easily see someone hearing this message and saying, well, that's all well and fine, Pastor Greg, but you're asking for a tall order. Some of you may be thinking, okay, well, that makes sense, but how do I get started on that? Because I can't jump from zero to 100 in a second. Absolutely right. God's commandments are not burdensome. So, when it is burdensome, when it is feeling like it's weighing down on you or, or just this idea of, I don't know, I, 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 it's something I want to do. Help, you know, Jesus says to the man, you know, oh, you of little faith. Jesus, I have faith, increase my faith. How do we go about doing that? Number one, pray that God will give you grace to live Accordingly, according to his commands, according to his promises. And two, we should act as if he has already given us the grace to live accordingly that we just prayed for in small ways. God, give me the grace to be the blessing you blessed me to be. Okay, Thank you, Jesus. You've given it to me. Now I'm going to go out in faith and live as if you've already given me that grace. Okay, what, what could that look like? Well, it could look like going next door to your neighbor that you haven't seen in a while and just knock on the door and ask them for a cup of coffee at your house and, you know, 
Have a barbecue and invite your neighbors to the barbecue. Call up someone that you know needs encouragement and, and give them 20, 30 minutes and encourage them. You didn't spend a whole lot of money in any of those, but you used your resources, you used the blessings you were given in such a way as to be a blessing. My friends, if you will seriously go to the Lord and say, God, I don't know where to start. Help me. Give me grace. He will. And you and I, because I'm preaching this sermon as much to me as you, you and I then need the courage to follow through and to be the blessing that God has blessed us to be because that is what it's going to take to be the church that Santa Maria, California needs to see the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come once again before your word and to see that you are for us, that you are with us. And God, I pray that you would enable us to trust in your promises to give you glory and to be the blessing that Santa Maria needs for our joy, for your glory, and for the growth of your kingdom. Amen.